Yes, thank you to everyone who brought yummy food today. <laughs> Even to those who didn't bring yummy food, thank you for being here. <laughs> so, Joshua, this is the first portion in 5780. So you're setting a trend now. You're starting your second year. Uh -oh. That's uh, true. Doing so, I think you need to be starting my third. Completed my second year. Mm -hmm. Completed yeah. so. Well, we're so going to be show show now. Be, <laughs> you don't repeat anything you did in the first two years as we start this year. Maybe maybe Judas leader. I see he's in the leather. <laughs> Go Judah. <laughs> Any yeah. Spurlock would be fine. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Judah, Judah comes across as the strong silent, but I promise. Strong, yes. Silent types have some of the best things to say. Oh. They only speak when it matters. Mm -hmm. True. Um, I, I, and this year, anyway, <laughs> Judah is possibly <laughs> to be <laughs> anyone. Um, Judah, if you delay, Richard, take your There you go. <laughs> Uh, yes, we are in Parashat Bereshit. This is the very first one in the beginning, um, and uh, and I really think that it's so. Uh, such a, it's actually really a beautiful story. Um, I think sometimes we get we, get, we lose track of that. Um, so, are, what are you drawing? Can you tell me. Drawing. A cake. A cake. Yeah. That's great. You know, when you draw, you're creating. <laughs> creation, right? Something that you made. Is it? Are you filling in the colors? Get from from all by yourself. You're drawing it yourself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Nice. Very good. Very creative. Sophia, when you create something, when you picture, um, <laughs> do you do you like create it? Sure. Yeah. Do you like do you your, your mommy, your daddy, what you did? Are you happy about it? Yeah. Usually people. Usually people. That's right. God kind of uh, had a similar attitude about creation. He loved his creation, and he made his creation, um, like Zoe said, out of didn't use somebody else's stuff. He made it all by himself. And it is, um, and he and he really cared about his creation. This year, reading person talking about the man in particular, um, I was really struck by how Rashi, um, how much God loved making man. It says that he made him like one makes uh, like a clay pot. He used his hands and he made he had the wet hand and he kind of molded wet molded man out of it. Um, and you can see kind of the there, right? This God using his hands, so to speak, to make man, which is different from how he summons light existence by speaking it, but he actually takes the the, the, the whole time to touch man he makes him. Um, he specifically makes man a, uh, a garden, a place for him to live. Sophia or Zoe might want to hang their pictures up on their refrigerator, a place for them to, you know, it's like, a care for the things that we've created. Um, he also man uh, uh, an objective, a responsibility, but it's not just any responsibility. He gives man the opportunity to do his work. And I think that for anyone who's in the room, um, the best moments in your life as a parent, one of the best experiences you have, is when you see your child imitating you. Especially if it's on their own volition, but anytime they do something that you, you do, um, uh, uh, it's usually an excitement, they're happy about it, and for you, you feel like, ah, yes, I'm putting on a leg passing of me. Um, the, it's an affirmation of me from my child wanting to be like me. He made us in the image of God. And that really, that love that God has. The other thing I think that's really remarkable about, about God's creation is that um, as he's making all these things, he makes man laugh, and he gives him dominion over everything. And so the, the implication, to me at least, is it's like God created Deuteronomy. God created for man. Genesis, in chapter the fourth day, uh, the 
Yes. Fourth day. We'll come up to it. No, no, yeah. Fourth day. What's God making the fourth day? So we got light, we got wa uh, water, land, plants. Fourth day is? Sun. Sun, moon, stars. And it specifically says he made them for festivals, points, years, and days, and months. And so forth. What all those things have to do with? Man worshiping God. Right, and and really, yeah. quite frankly, your first word was was well was I think the biggest point. Man, he made them for man. Yeah. God made the sun and the moon and the stars, which I think are, are so majestic that you know ancient man uh, felt to worship them. Um, be, and yet at the same time, God made them specifically to um, to give uh, structure for, for humans. Deuteronomy chapter, I think it's chapter four, uh, when Moses is recounting the experience. Of Sinai, he says, God, there's no image there, and don't bother worshiping the sun, the moon, and the stars. Says he created them, gave them to all of mankind, and this idea of making all of creation um, to be enjoyed by man. At, at the same time, also to provide worship for him. I think that's the focus. But that love, that that gift, man, is just really spectacular. I think that really stood out to me this time because you know, the Genesis story, the beginning, Isra, is the most transcendent, inspiring, you know, beyond our comprehension, probably in all of Scripture. We cannot even begin to imagine someone who can speak things out of nothing. Half of this parsha we can't even picture in our minds. Light, darkness intermingled. I don't really even know what Roman is exactly. You know how that worked, what God did, and how He did it. At the end of the story, that God, this awe-inspiring God, is lavishing good things on His limit creation, man. Amen. Yes, sir. Um, a couple things on what you said. Um, um, not being able to even comprehend it uh, is in fact the whole light and dark that he created he created a couple days before he created the sun and the moon and right. the stars right so light in and of itself exists so where that light came from kind of thing right um, the second is I agree that this is the most awe-inspiring one second to it would be the other we celebrate and remember this immediately that God right. would, after this, one more time, reach in the history of the earth, time and space, and mess with it, change it, adjusting, did with right. the, with the legs. You know, it's just it's, it's in a public way. But exactly, yeah. Um, and I would I would argue this would be a public way. Agreed, too, right? But yeah, there wasn't just a whole Absolutely lot of a parallel. Um, so two more things. One is that. Uh, Sefer Hasechot says that the throne of God's glory, not just his glory over the earth, um, over the waters, but God's glory over the water at the command of God's breath. Our sages said that this breath refers to the spirit of Mashiach, of the Messiah. From this we see that the concept of Mashiach, of the Messiah, is even more primal than that of light. For the spirit of Mashiach preceded the creation of light, which is why we learned a couple years ago that young student Torah not going to be studying this passage lest they possibly blaspheme the Mashiach. There's that's, a lot of, a lot of depth astonishing. here. Absolutely. And, and the fact that the Mashiach can't be God, which is what we hear today, um, seems to be that as it may. The, um, the other thing I was going to say is the penultimate creation, as you, as you put it, uh, being man, if, if you dive in there just a little bit, and look at it as we discussed in our, our last study class. Um, 
actually his last creation was woman, not man, which, not trying to be a thing, ultimate creation, does, does um, speak to the feminist lament that the Bible is chauvinistic and all about man and all of that. Uh, if you actually, when you say, walking through and seeing that the creation is getting better and better, you know, from trees to things that actually move, oh, oh, beasts, you know, and then man, and then woman. So, truly, the, the top, top shelf is woman. We, we can say that. Yeah. <laughs> That's because you and I married. Up. That's right. I think by your definition, every man's marrying up, right? Oh, there it is. <laughs> um, and I think, too, in this, this passage, the other thing I think we see is that what does God do with man? He gives him a mission. He says to tend mm. and keep the garden. Um, he makes him in the image of God. Um, and I think the real method is that pro pro the, uh, uh, this book, in Timothy Keller's book, Every Good Endeavor, this idea that we partner with God. In Judaism as well. We were working with God in continuing the act of creation. That's actually why um, in that portion we read, we read um, I believe, I read it, you'll see the words, the same words that show up in um, in the period, like oh, make, create, um, has some of the same parallel you, um, uh, with Shabbat as well. And the idea there being... Um, can we pause? No, I just see. Oh, okay. The idea being uh, as well with um, this idea that we're continuing the act of creation. So and I, for our anniversary, Juliana, we went to Richmond, um, and on um, Thursday night for our anniversary dinner, um, we had an amazing like course meal. They, the chefs, they have their own little things. You have no idea. Yet. They're they're the ones who come up with it. They get the order, and the creativity had just it was amazing to watch. And. Um, you know, the, the ability to come up with different textures and flavors, temperature, and weave them all together so that they balance perfectly. Nothing that makes you feel awkward or out of place. And, um, and surprise, it makes you think in a new way. And as I was talking to Juliana, I said, this is really the reason why I think that humans are so inspired by, by creativity is because it is a moment when, in a sense, we touch the divine. We become like God. This is what we were meant to be. And you think about when, 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 you, when someone paints artwork that truly someone's breath away, or when someone um, performs a piece of music that's really um, transcendent, that's really special and magnificent, there is a special experience that you have. Because I think in that acting, to some degree, um, God. And one of the things, guys, is the, a great example, because this story in Genesis, what we have is we have war between who we made to be in the image of God and who we have an inclination to be in the image of man, or rather, more appropriately, perhaps, in the image of the animals. And this battle between the, the so-called uh, animal side or flesh side of us and the divine side of us is, is, a, is a conflict that continues to be so pronounced today. And so when we say above our needs, our demands, our urges, and just simply for the act of creating, to make things better, we, we, we uh, engage in that, in that activity, uh, whether it could be art, or food, or music, or, or a brilliantly performed uh, work task. I mean, you know, people who, uh, when you do your work, at a good work, in a sense, you are also experiencing that. If you have a garden, you can, you see the flourishing and the, and the you, you literally, what you're touching is coming to, is coming to pass, so to speak. Yeah, perfect landing. Yeah, perfect landing. There we go. Thing. I was talking about earlier, that when something is done with purpose, or we feel as human beings a fulfillment, that it's good. And it's the definition of us as people to be good when it fulfills. Right, so I think in those moments, and it's, it's a reminder, and I think the reason why humans are so drawn to it is because it's a reminder that that you're not supposed to be animals. It's a reminder of the garden we're supposed to be. It's a glimpse, not long because we're, we're in a frail universe, but it's a glimpse into that 
potential. It's when you have a perfect landing, it reminds you that if you normal, you would have fallen from the sky and splatted on the ground. Instead, you transcended that experience. Better than rather, <laughs> exactly. rather than eating just because you're hungry and whatever happened to be there, created to excite you. And it's and so that's a moment. And I think from a spiritual perspective, it's still powerful to us too, because that's how we're supposed to every day. That's what the Torah is trying to make us do on a daily basis, to be more than the physical side of us. Unfortunately, our see uh, too often simply relax and fall into that physical side, but we have the capability greater. Yes, sir. This is to that point. I think that's. You have to speak up to get it on the mic here. So so not second row. In the front row. Yeah. Unless you want us to repeat it for you, so go slow. <laughs> to that point, added of the reason for bracha before you do something, and it's actually in order to attempt to have a. a Experience describing yeah. of something that everyone else considers mundane. Right. You right. know, the, the thing is, True. all of the things that God just now created that were so spectacular, everyone takes it nowadays. Amen. But it was the book of genius it in is. the world. And so, that I mean, just to uh, point out, going to visit all of the state parks this year, it does more thing that God is an amazing creator. Right. And it really helps remind us. You see trees every day. When you actually go for the purpose of seeing different types of trees, or you learn more about them, or you force yourself to appreciate them, perspective that God made them, it changes your your outlook. Because that's really the only difference. Agreed. Agreed. God made them either. God made the food as well as the um, you know incredible stuff too. But it's your perspective that thing that are in control. It's kind of like what where we get to the point with Cain, right? It's like you have the choice. You can either do thing, bounce, or sin is crouching at the door. Absolutely, and I think your point about your perspective and the blessings, which is a great one, because as we're, like, eating this and, and absorbing not only the food, but also the, the creativity of humans behind it, I couldn't help but like, looking at Juliana, I'm like, there's got to be a food guy out there that has a blessing for an amazing meal. Like, beyond just bless you, Lord, the food of the land, there's got to be one like, you know, like the one that came to mind, actually, I think ironically enough, the blessing for either beautiful or ugly people, maybe, the, um, Blessed are you, Lord, who, is, who has in this world the ability, like, God came up with the idea and managed to put aside the finds of man yeah. to be capable of creating something like this. And this goes back to what we were talking at the beginning of this, of this discussion. That just shows the unbelievable love of God. Amen. That not only would he create, but that he would create things that would become um, brilliant and beautiful and would make us be great elves and would and would make us so content and happy and give us experiences we couldn't imagine. God literally could have made everything taste like dirt. Mm -hmm. And we came with that. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, getting out... Um, or blueberry pie. Mm -hmm. Which would have been maybe better than True. dirt. Um, but if it all tastes like blueberry pie. Yeah, well, everything tastes like chicken. Right. Um, been a, uh, Things like blueberry, okay. But like Juliana was pointing out, there's a... Uh, um, in the, the book, in The Martian, um, the character in there is living on Mars, and he, he realizes that all you literally need is eating like vitamin pills and eating potatoes. That's it. You don't need anything else. Um, and that's all God could have given us, are the calories and the, and the nutrients that we need. Instead, he specifically made man uh, and, uh, with the capability of also gifted him with the creations around him, things that are beautiful and t delicious and are variant. And it's like, just that, again, that love, of, that care of God, it should, to your point, to be in such awe of his creation, not take it for granted. But to his blessings before and after, we relish, well, maybe with not relish, but with excitement. Because we want to be, we thank God, literally thank God, 
for having given us such good things Amen. and having and having had desire to give them to us. I've got comments here. So, um, the fortunately in the world today is to lower right. the specialness of right. mankind um, and because people might think I don't mean humankind. Women. I'm going to say mankind because that actually dramatically inclusive of all of us. And if you don't know that, oh, government school. Well, wait, I digress. So people are trying to lower that so that if you kill a child, it's, it's not that big a deal. Worse almost than that is the latest tendency I've seen in the last couple of years to lift animals, mostly dogs, to the level of humankind, where they are addressed as their children, their babies, their part of the family, etc. This this is a part to God. And recently, one of the major rabbis in Israel came out publicly and said, if you've got dogs in your house, you are clean completely. This is not what God intended. It should not happen. Here, I got it off my chest. <laughs> He's been but, waiting all year for this portion. To <laughs> Bam! The point being, we need to hear them that. And I think that we, the, the no, animal no, no. kinds we are greater than the animals. And the world is trying to we're, we're just like just the animals. animals. Well, as a little kid, I'm a kid, we, um, you know, they, I'd watch you or something like that, and they would have a science angle. It's like, man is part of the animal kingdom, or whatever. Parents would be like, no, no, you're not an animal. You're more than that. And, and, He's stuck with the only reason he's watching Absolutely. But the point being that um, I think actually what you see is of sin is really just is a reason why uh, Paul refers to as the flesh, right? It's really the, 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 the basing ourselves to being more animalistic. Well, you don't, you know, eat as much as you want, whatever you want, whatever you want. Because that's what animals do. I mean, you know, so when you fast on Yom Kippur, you are really a uh, literally acting like greater animals. I am choosing not to eat. You are figuratively planting your flag in the ground and saying, this day, this earth is God's creation and it's greater than the animals. Amen. I choose to be more. Amen. And my power choice transcends natural needs. Um, and when you choose not to eat pork, you are again reinforcing the It's that whole process. When you choose not to work on Shabbat, I mean, if you're a farmer and it's harvest season, you don't work on Saturday. That's a huge deal. Tell me about it. It's a really big deal. If you, uh, when you choose to maintain purity as an unmarried person, maintain purity in the right context as a married person, you are reinforcing. I choose with my with my will, spirit, my soul, be above my physical needs. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think it's, it's a really, really important lesson from this week. I've got a whole bunch of hands here, so we're going to work our way around. Yeah. No, Gregory and me. Yes, yeah. Okay. Uh, so, I, I, again, I love, I love the direction we're going here. I, I love to be reminded of Colossians 1 when we read through Bereshit and, and bask in the majesty of the beginning of creation to remember that it's all about Messiah, right? I love this verse that says, He is of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And of course, the passage just goes on to the creed story, Messiah. 
Right. And what, what the, the reason I think that's so helpful, because we were just talking before about all the things that God has created, it wouldn't feel very relatable if not Messiah. If it, it was just mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. being that created everything, and, and it was just amazing, you would never even feel anything. Like, how could you ever even come close to that? Where, where is even a level that we could relate at all? But that's the brilliance of is uh, right is that like it was all through him and for him and therefore him being encapsulated as a then we now have a and something to do when it right. comes to creativity of creativity. absolutely well i mean i think it's really you get that from the kids books too right i mean like so you read the bible stories to your children and it's like you can read about the creature and you know kids can experience you know god so to speak by what you see him do but you know you read about yeshua and he's uh you know he's crying He's, he's, you know, he's helping people, he's touching people, he's healing people, he's blessing children, you know, he's speaking. That's so much, it's your point, it's so much more relatable, it's such so much more a, 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 a comprehensible um, idea to, to a human mind, especially a child's. Um, and I think it's really powerful. I think that's exactly why we see in Deuteronomy chapter 4, what do the people say? They say, Moses, you go and talk to God. It's too for us. We can't handle it. You, you relay it back to them. And, and God's response to that is, okay. I will make a prophet like Moses to teach you so that you experience the divine in a format that you can understand. Backtrack just a little bit. When we were in the mountains, we had a western view and the sunsets every night were unique and different and never the same. And some nights there were clouds, other nights there weren't. And the colors and the and we would just sit there in awe every night watching it and think about how even if we weren't here, God's creativity is who he is. Mm-hmm. It's a part of his being. So he's not able to do that, but we are thankful that his creativity shines in a way that we can see it. And you know, in John, when it says, all things are made through him, and without him is made that the life and the life of the men. And it's like, thing. even as you thank God, you know that that Messiah is also there at the time of creation. There is no division between who you're being because he's part of what has life. Mm-hmm. And and looking at that light and magnificence that was was there was just incredible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my dad. Well, just back to what Gregory was talking about in, in Colossians, it says that he names everything. Mm-hmm. Well, just Messiah maintains it. He's the invisible force, as it were. Scientists talk about we don't know why the atoms together. And I think we understand because of centrifugal force. But Einstein says gravity is the greatest mystery. Yeah. Uh, these these forces that hold things together to us are really, we grasp them, but we don't. Yeah. And uh, gravity having a, uh, an example is gravity having a, have a function within in space. We, I mean, think about time and space. It's not just the rotation of planets and the pull gravitational pull is about, but gravity having a function with human space, having almost, you know, sours as it were, is, is a remarkable thing. I think that part of the issue that my Genesis 1, or the first parsha of Bereshit, is the most important of all of the parsha, is because Paul says in Romans, the constitution of Romans chapter 1, and that it will be the first place man attacks right. God. Because man wants to say did not create it. We come up with this because it took a long time. I'm unapologetically a list. When God says it was created this way, 
in six days, I believe in absolute terms that is what happened. Nothing in science dissuade me from that perspective. Right. Right. And this portion, the way that it starts with the creed and the sin of man and being and being driven out is proof of what Paul's saying in Romans 1. Because it doesn't just start with God created it all and you have to says, and this is what happens when man rebelled against death and sin of the world. That means there's, I mean, if you think of the laws, there's entropy until there's sin. Right. It's an impossible to comprehend the thought. Mm. That means as something rolls downhill, it's entropy and, and momentum. All those things fly out the window. Those laws do not lie before the sin. That's almost comprehensible. Right. Our normal way that things work in science, Newtonian scientific thought is, is can't be found. In biology, it's impossible. You can't find, I read there was uh, this week, they found parts of tree buried thousands of feet below the ocean that were hundreds of thousands of years old. They were trees, they weren't. There was no death of man's sin. No plants died, no animals died. Zero, the first death recorded in this portion where animals killed for their skins to cover melanin. I mean, the thought of that is almost beyond yeah. our comprehension. So when we read in Romans chapter 1, he says, and what's man going to do? He's going to create it. In fact, let's worship. The people who ought to have the motivation for God are the people that are most likely to worship it. You know, our environmentalists, they want to worship the creation. They can stand at the edge of the grand and blame God. It should be impossible. Peter said the same thing. They just are completely ignorant of the fact that they're loved. Things have been this way all along, mm -hmm. from the beginning. Well, wait a minute. What beginning? I thought there was no beginning. Oh, the beginning that had the sin? No, not that beginning. Mm -hmm. There was a different beginning. Well, and one of the funniest, well, funny in a tragic sense, uh, is, is that the, uh, the founder of the whole big concept, um, uh, uh, no, uh, before him. Yeah, that is true. Yeah, he, he, he was, was a proponent. Well, he was he was the one who sort of he kind of he made it work. He made it famous. Well, he he kind of figured out how it could work, like, like, hypothetically <laughs> how it but would function. Too smart um, for his own. Yeah, but but he gets the end. As I'm saying, but tragic irony of his of his story is at the end of his life, he basically well, first off, everything I said before is definitely not what happened, mm -hmm. because. Uh, the more I've studied it, the more I realize the theory is bogus. Oh, so, it's so, <laughs> so we could have done it. So it must have a different way. Maybe it happened this way instead. But, but actually, it's interesting. It's so fascinating because obviously, the uh, I don't know how historically accurate it is per se, because movies don't always be that accurate. But the theory of everything film um, is definitely not procreation. Um, at the movie, they actually have Stephen Hawking basically say, I have no idea if there's a God or not. No idea exactly what happened. I think I know. I think it's. But who knows? That's tragically. The point being, though, is that we have, in a sense, the 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 the, the chieftain of, of there is no God. It's basically getting to the life, and the more about it, and the more he's tried to understand it, coming to the conclusion, well, I just actually don't know. Which is like one of the worst things a scientist can say. I don't know. Um, well, they think they know everything. So to get to that place, I think just reemphasize what my dad's saying. Like, cannot deny it without being, as you pointed out, willfully ignorant. You have to choose right. to ignore the, the facts that are out there. I wasn't finished. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> the thought, thought, and as I recently heard this again, so that's why I had to bring this up. First moon rock, Earth rock, astronauts circling the moon before the landing, three launches earlier, 
they began on, on, on the 24th of December. They began a broadcast moon as the earth was rising with beavers from Genesis. They took turns, the three of them took turns, and they read the Genesis account. And it caused huge scandal because NASA didn't know they were going to do it. <laughs> but they were so impressed with the fact this is what we just have to do. Because when we left the earth, we discovered we are the center of the earth. And to see the earth rise, the rising that from blue, another place, yeah. it's, it was overwhelming. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's, uh, it's an amazing thing. In our, in our generation, the man, you know, Einstein was probably considered the guy on the planet in his day. But the our generation, the hardest guy on the planet was probably Hoffman. This is what people say. Right. It is noteworthy that the smartest guy on the planet can't hold a candle <laughs> and in the end realized, I really, I really don't know if there's a God, which doesn't mean there's a God, I know God, and everything I said before I know is now poo-poo. <laughs> that's, to me, that's really dynamite, to, to, to recognize it doesn't matter how smart you are. You cannot come to God. Oh. And, so, a and a child that reads Genesis 1 knows more than bam. all. Well, isn't that the Yom Kippur prayers, right? All of our, all of our, our great men are nothing. Nothing. When you think about the capabilities of God. Go back to, to chapter 1. I think uh, Jude teaches very profoundly that the creation story is critical to this idea, the ideas of the acceptance of God's sovereignty. In other words, if you erase creation, you remove legitimacy behind God's that's ability right. to tell you what to do. Right. And that's, I mean, even even to the point like, so that like, uh, God harkens back to creation. Just harkening back to creation in the sense that like, knowledge that God made it. But that is so important to knowing that because well, God made everything, it's the right to say to his creation, this is okay, this is not okay. If he's a creator, he's just another God. Or another entity. He's just another God. You could say this God. I say God is God. No one has any authority. Unless you were made by the one, right? Yeah. Well, they think about the creation. It's like you have. Um, it's like it's so interesting when you you, uh, you know, the movies and things and stuff in the in the Greek mythology and this. It's always putting God deity concepts in in finite form. It's always putting limits to the extent that, of course, at the end of the story, humans are able to defeat God. Bam. That's the end. It's Tower of Babel all over. Um, and yet, yet, but I think when you think about God creating the universe out of nothing. And out of nothing, it was called into existence, and you easily call it back into nothing. I, I think that that officially the, the only living being in the universe. We're a true master. There's literally nothing that matters besides anything else. Uh, it becomes irrelevant and of no consequence. He has all of the authority and all of the right to say what we can or can't do. And to my dad's point, not only that, created the universe with rules and that are not only physical but also spiritual so that it's not just do this and don't do that as somehow i i made you so i can tell you you know i brought you into this world you out of it he also he also does this is how he designed it to function if you do this you will be blessed if you don't that battle happen maybe not right away maybe not just to you but general it is much better to follow the path of god because it functions if you jump off the top of the roof of this building it will hit the ground and it will hurt doesn't matter how much you think not, about it. Not very long. Or how well you deny it or not. <laughs> it's going to. And in the same way, if you, if you keep the Sabbath, you're going to be blessed. Amen.
That, that, that is power and authority. I've got Gregory and then my Judah and my father-in-law. So with great power, great responsibility. Have I heard that? I just wanted to throw that in there. As I said, the, uh, this, this year there was a little teaching from Rabbi, uh, Rabbi Kaplan who was talking about how you know, ordinarily I missed the opportunity to kind of ask, like, wait, the snake could talk? You know? <laughs> and uh, he was saying, so often I hear anyone ask me that as a rabbi. It's always the kids that say, like, what's with this? Why are you talking? And he was saying, well, I don't know. We know from a literal perspective that it did. That's all we know at this point, but it's just an important lesson. And that is the idea behind the Yitzhar Hara and the Yitzhar Tov, right? The good inclination and the bad inclination. And so uh, from responsibility to those, kind of what I was thinking where it's like, the way he was putting it is like the distinction between animals is when a lion sees a lamb, it's just going to run after it and eat it. It happens. But like when you have a very large, strong boy like Judah, and there's a little scrub who has a ice cream cone. Well, that strong boy has the choice. He could either there and muscle out of the kid's hands the ice cream cone because he wants it, or he could not and make a, like an effort not to. Like that's in his power, and that's where he teaches us is that we do have the responsibility, the, the power to actually like choose right, the, the power to follow the will uh, or, or to follow God's commands, not to. And it, with that, there's so much more responsibility because we see the consequences of when we make the wrong choice, right. but we have blessings when we make the right choice. Yeah, yeah Rabbi Porter, the beast that crouches at the door has a beat. I mean, I can't do justice to it in the amount of time we have. Really brilliant discussion of the snake and his, his offer to Eve. Um, uh, one of the things he points out is, okay, so you've got an animal, walks, talks, can debate. Probably play cards. Uh, probably. Probably was smoking, hey, too, hey, while we're at it. Or maybe vaping. Um, uh, if, the snake was vaping. But what's the... Uh, and yet, so you if, heard it here first, if you saw the snake... Nothing is... It's almost like challenge you around. Tell me what's being even the snake. Like, that's kind of philosophical and rather nuanced, doesn't it? If it's talking, it's walking. Not a whole lot of physical... Yeah, not a whole lot of differences here. Like, basically, one probably looked a whole lot better than the other, but... That's a beautiful thing at that point. The point is that, that if you think about if you think about that, a lot of there's a lot of overlap between Jesus and this whole leader speak. So, the snake says to Eve, is what we were talking about earlier, you're just like, why, why, you know, why would you, like, God said this, whatever you want. The voice of God is what he put inside you. That's the real voice of God. What you thought you heard? I mean, who knows? You don't even remember it correctly. That's irrelevant. The voice inside, your heart, that's what you have to trust. Your heart. I mean, and if you think about it, it's exactly the message in the society today. Do what you want. Do what you feel. Just do, you know, what you feel, follow your heart. I think it's almost absurd how many movies and TV shows these days have to remind Americans to follow their heart. If you haven't heard that before, or if you're not able to do that, I guess you've been living for the last 45 years. Because every single story, it feels like that's the end result. There's no trust your mind. Who's saying that anymore? It's like, it's all about how you feel, what you want. Do what you want. All of those things. This is the, it's not entirely wrong. I think sometimes have places where that's appropriate at times. In terms of like, uh, you know, you can, you can get overly stressed in life. That being said, the snake, that's the snake's off. Because God says, follow your heart's desires. And he does say that. It's in the context of bringing when God creates a structure, now you can play around in that. You don't need to feel and the strain of what do I do, what do I not do, how do I do, like, it's better anymore. Within that structure, but animals, they have whatever they feel, they do. And this, the snake is telling Eve, that's all you have to listen to. But God has given a different way. You, from all the trees in the garden, 
do whatever you want, but this one. That's really the offer that God has given to us. You have to spiritual uh, take up that conscious choice, like you're talking, and step of what you just want or need, so to speak, and just obey. Thank you. But the irony is that God offers the greatest level of in that place. I mean, so we're saying follow your heart. Well, you know what's ironic about that when you just follow your heart? You very quickly find out you're, you end up being depressed, anxious, confused, possibly obese, depending on what you really wanted, or perhaps you're, um, you suffer outside, you might suffer from eating disorders if your heart wanted something different. You can be addicted, you could be, you could be lonely. There's a lot of awful thick, um, ultimately kill you. That's the end result of just doing whatever you want and being your own God. And yet, God's saying, in my, in my box that I've created, in my fenced-in backyard, go have fun. You know, what do you want to spend the offering on? You can't bring your vegetables from the Galilee to Jerusalem? Literally, buy what your heart desires. And you me. If you can do that, now you have real fame says, right? The perfect law of liberty. Now there's, now there's, this is what you're meant to be. And now your actions uh, don't do for you, you choose what your life looks like by choosing life. Um, yeah, um, Judah. Yeah. Go ahead. Judah. Okay. Um, okay. To what you were saying, is, uh, God created the earth, he can tell us what to do, but it's not necessarily arbitrary per se. Right. Um, it's interesting being forced to read, rather, these <laughs> philosophers of ancient times to more modern times. Is the ones that arguments hold water and people actually listen to them actually more or less do what the philosopher says best to do. Very similar values <laughs> to the ones in the Bible. You know, there's when there's 613 commandments, it's probably pretty difficult for the average philosopher to make 613 rules for themselves. But some of them, you know, like uh, the traditional hedonist says, "Oh, you should probably not do this because it's bad for you." The, you know, don't 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 get drunk. It's, you're going to regret it the next day. That kind of thing. You mean that your your actions have consequences? Yeah, right. Don't nowadays, do you? Um, so stuff like that is just like so interesting because it's like, wow, God's right. Wow, I'm so shocked. Well, this is, this is Romans, right? In Romans chapter, is it two? Um, Paul says, God put this in the heart of man. Love your neighbor. Well, if, if, if I don't want you to steal my stuff, I probably shouldn't steal yours. You know, I mean, you think about it, it's from across the planet. There are some cultures that are really, do things that are completely inappropriate and anti-Torah. Overlap, morality, shocking given the fact that the Torah is necessarily, you know, studied by everyone all over the planet. And yet there's so many things that humans just know. Like, of course you don't act that way, because I don't want you to be. Um, God did put that into us, and it is, it is built in. But I think it also goes back to what you were saying earlier, the heathens, you know, don't, even the hedonists says, you should probably restrain yourself because it's going to be better for you in the long run. So back to what we were saying earlier, God created laws, laws that govern the universe. And um, if you eat of the tree, you will die, was not a threat. It's a fact. And I think that sometimes people ask exactly what the snake said. Well, did God really mean it? Today? Um, we doubt that. If you're arguing the kosher laws with any Protestant or Catholic, they will, without realizing, quote the serpent. <laughs> did God really say Yeah. I mean, do you, do you really think that God said? I'm like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> I heard that somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> somewhere. I've heard this before. <laughs> My father-in-law first, unless you're like next. It's quick. Uh, I, you know, we always look for seeing this year and never before. Mm -hmm. um, it became it became morning. First. It doesn't say the first day. That's the point. The day of It's one. the only one that says one day. Yeah. It doesn't say first day. It's Yom Echad. And uh, it says 
God was completely alone prior to that. He created the angels on the same. And take it from there. He was it's one day. I mean, after that, it's the seventh day, the fourth day, the fifth day, the sixth day. Um, I never saw that before. He's the day of the day of one. Yeah, I mean, that's, I just think that's. Well, it goes back to uh, if you ever sung the um, the song of Adon Alam, it says, "In the beginning, he reigned alone." Right. He this, was it. This is that day when he reigned alone. Because you can't reign if there's nothing to reign over. So this one day, he was this the only one, one day, there was something there besides him. So that's to speak, right. But he was the, the only sentient entity. The only thing that was there was the light. Well, no, it was actually just kind of like a, a question I hadn't really thought of this year. The idea here is that the tree of the evil held evil, basically. And so I, I hadn't really, I wondered what you guys thought. Did the snake know the difference between the evil? Yes. It did? It, it had chosen earlier. It had chosen earlier. It had already made its choice. Okay. Did you never and because the snake is not Billy Graham simply... Billy about that? No. I've never when the angels sinned. Yeah. When the snake is not merely a serpent, right, but that he is the embodiment of another entity. Okay. Uh, to me, there is no question that his fall was most likely described between verse two and verse three. But the thing about it is, I think you could even make the argument maybe he didn't know. I mean, the animals, I think, their idea of good and evil. I don't know. If they don't necessarily. But Ezekiel yeah, makes it very clear that fall, the fall of. Hassan, yeah. Was a choice that he made. So? No, yeah. Yeah. But even still, I think that they, I think that all both both uh, traditional Christian theology as well as um, uh, kind of ways of looking at it would definitely see the sense that like there's not a future choice. It's kind of ironic. He wants you the power of repentance. Yep. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. that's actually yeah. that is going back to James when I think he says right. that. This idea of grace, which the was it James's Hebrews, the angels yeah. long to look into, long to look into and it's like you actually get that you get a symbolic picture of that with the ark, right? You have the the cherubim, or at the mercy seat. That's Incomprehensible. Not, that's, that's not actually a term. They're staring at the top of the ark where the blood is splattered, right? And this idea of and also Torah, this idea of the power of repentance is something humans have. So the right. choice between good and evil, that's an ongoing choice, is unique. Amen. Just so do as I. a follow-up to that, though, because then I was thinking, it was the case that it did know the difference between good and evil. And why was the punishment only after it convinced Eve and Adam? Right, like as Revelation it, it tells us. The Revelation tells us, though, that will incur its final punishment, not yet been punished. Okay. The punishment is future. Its punishment of knowing good was not described. The punishment of God, right? It, was for deceiving you. That's right. Yeah. Okay. So its punishment is yet future. I said it. I said it. Yeah. <laughs> um, quoting from uh, Dennis Prager's volume on Genesis, gives man a choice between. I did, awesome. God gives man a choice between two mutually exclusive ways of living. Amen. Given the choice, humans want knowledge and choice. More than a life of innocence, oh. and it's it's the same today. That's right. And it's the same for everyone. Oh. We want a life of knowledge and choice more than we want a life of innocence. Oh. This awareness over immorality, mortality. Yep. Every time. Interesting too. It's so funny how you hear these. They felt a out there, like well. God wouldn't just make us do X, Y, and Z. He wants to give us the free, free freedom of choice. And I don't think I really, 
thought about that or comprehended that so clearly until I started as a parent, how much you want your children to choose to what you tell them to do. You want them to choose, but you want them to choose correctly. correctly. But they don't just want them to do what's correct. You do, but that would not be sufficient. That's right. I mean, the, the times when you, know, when you, when you, uh, you know, with the, the baby in the spot, they don't leave the spot. Now, not fulfilling in any way. In fact, if anything, I think we're, we're saddened to some degree by the fact that they're unable to, to, to move beyond that spot. Now, when you tell your three-year-old to sit in a spot, and they choose to sit in the spot peaceably and quietly without protesting, now, now you... Your chin should go up, yeah, and you praise God. This is a moment, right? This is a moment where you, 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 sense, you sense honor and respect and relationship and all of those types of things coming out of a choice to, to, to do what to do. And I think that the same thing is true with God. I don't think he made us different from that regard. He wants us to choose to do what's right Amen. and not say, um, do it automatically to speak. Because it's part of that relationship. Do you have a comment? Yes. Go ahead. I was uh, listening to a podcast the other day, an interview with Beckett Cook. Um, he's come out with a book, and so he's making all the circuits right now. But he grew up Catholic, went to Catholic schools, all things, and then rejected all of it and be, became very big in Hollywood and New York and living a very hedonistic lifestyle. And came to a point, at some person, I don't even know, but some famous person's house at a big party, an after party of the Oscars or something, and said, this is, there is nothing here. I have achieved all of this and there's nothing in it. All is vanity. And so he, he continued on his work and one day he was at Starbucks, being a friend, and behind them in L.A. is a group of people with their Bibles, reading their Bibles. And his friend goaded him into talking. They ended up inviting him to church, and he walked into church in L.A. that Sunday. And the power of God came upon him so powerfully that all the things he had rejected all these years became truth. And so he's given his life years now. And he's written this book about some of where he's come from. And... Um, and he said, he was in a restaurant recently, a hostess had on this shirt that said, always following. So he asked the server, he said, do you see that as positive, neutral, or negative? He said, I see it as neutral toward positive. He said, no, it's not. It's dangerous. And went on a conversation with the server about it. So taking the views of this and then trying to interlay them to say, God really does make an incredible difference. And it was just fascinating to listen to this man who basically was on top of the world, all these things, giving it all up. And the things that willing brought to others, God has done in him. It's it pretty neat. Yes, sir. Yeah. Oh, can we go back to the fourth thing? Sure. So the fourth really cool. First of all, we learned that there was light before the sun. That's cool. That's, That's really cool. cool. Uh, and then we hear that there's plants. We read there's plants before there are sun and moon. Again, very cool. I mean, like, if this were written by a scientist that believed, he'd be like, he like change these, <laughs> so that people won't. Right? Right. Um, which is, by the way, another proof. I've heard this before. Proof text for, is when scripture does not have to correct itself for for man's scientific understanding. Uh, that's proof. Actually, it's like that's true. If anybody were to make this up, they'd make sure it matched. So anyway, the the fact that the moon is created at the same time is astonishing. And that the earth preceded them. Because the moon is made up of the same stuff that the earth is born. The moon came from the earth, 
and the earth can maintain its axis or even support life in general terms the way that we see it there's no moon so we talk about having a new moon it's a really big deal because it's obviously it's a sign but also because god put the moon up there to keep it actually is a major role in sustaining life on the planet axis maintains we have seasons where 75 percent of the planet occupied whereas if we didn't have a moon less than half could be occupied by human beings simply because it would be inhospitable it's pretty amazing hmm. very cool yeah and uh, thinking about amazing things um Skipping forward a little bit in our in our past reading, coming towards the end of our discussion here, unfortunately, we should talk about. Um, you mean past chapter one? Uh, yeah, no, right. Into uh, chapters three and four, um, the story of Cain and Abel um, is the this one of the sages' commentaries about it is quite remarkable. Um, about Cain, you know, he kills his. He then goes and has a discussion with God, um, and, um, and there's a there's a mish about. Cain and Adam converse afterwards. So Cain shows up to Adam, and Adam's like, "To go with the judge, you know, like we 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 both blew it. We both did something really really awful. God God punished us. How, how did yours go? How was your sentencing?" Um, Cain said, "Oh yeah, he told me I couldn't. Um, you know, I'm gonna have to be an, a vagrant and a wanderer, a nomad. He's gonna curse the ground even more, uh, even more than the ground. I can't grow anything. But then I, you know, I I." I uh, he said, I'm sorry, and it was just too, too difficult for me, um, and, and God moderated the sentence. So the, the Midrash says, Adam smacks himself in the head, and he's like, basically paraphrasing. I wish I'd known that. You know, great. Repented? Great is the power of repentance. I won't get night in the garden. Yeah. The idea that, he could, the idea that, that Cain's sentence is somehow moderated, you know, God puts this, the mark on him so that no one can kill him, that he delays his, his ultimate sentence, according to some traditions, by years. That's... Um, or seven, me, seven generations, which is what Lemek is getting at. Um, this idea that that God um, is merciful and the power of that. I mean, Cain really does the commit murder. You obviously can't any act of sin that probably could be worse than that, right? I mean, like in terms of humankind, I mean, it's like it's the worst thing to take someone else's life. But to be the first person to do that, to do it to your own brother. I mean, like. Unbelievable. I mean, the, 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 the evil, right? Necessary there. Many generations have resulted from a amazing. Huh. Early on, yeah. I mean, just astonishing. It's astonishing. And and to to uh, and not to have done it because you saw something, but to be actually the creator of something. The punishment does not seem severe enough. True. Like we are in favor of punishment. If you someone deliberately, then I mean, you you should probably also be killed or at least have life in prison. But he was free to. Well, it's actually quite fascinating about that. I think it's a great point you make because if you read his punishment, you know what it looks remarkably similar to? The... Yeah, the devil kills someone. Right, it does. And so there's... Get it. One, of it, one theory could be that he didn't know it would kill him. Have you never killed anybody before? It's like, oh, wait. Abel, get up! Get up. I've, never, I've never seen another man before. Right. What's that red stuff on you? Yeah. Um, the other scenario... Bad. The other scenario that you also have to consider is there's no... Um, murder, only considered murder by the there are witnesses. That's Apparently, no one's there for God. But only and the blood. Mm-hmm. You could, but that's pretty. That, no, no, no. The blood came because the blood didn't come out until after. So God. My point is that God keeps His own Torah here and exiles Cain. Um, ultimately, because we believe in the divine, Cain dies, and according to the midrash, Cain is actually killed by another human. We all. 
No, 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 I know. But my point is that, that God specifies, well, I guess my point is that according to the Midrash, or traditionally this passage, God delays the death of Cain. So he doesn't kill him right away like we might think of in terms of capital punishment. He gives him a seven-generation uh, reprieve. At that point, another human being kills him by accident, um, according to the Midrash. So in a, at that point, God, you know, in a divine cosmic sense, exacts, exacts that capital punishment justice. But in the meantime, he causes him to be in exile. And in exile, who he's a nomad, is going to go to the cities. But the parallel is, is uh, quite potent. The point that I was getting at, though, there is that Cain's repentance or his act, of, his moment, they because they interpret one interpretation is that his this is too difficult for me, is not trying to say God's too tough on me. What that bad? But almost more like it's like like at that moment, like oh no, I, this I've crossed an awful line. This is good. So they, in that sense, they're, they're, the point that I was trying to get at before, God mocked the sentence of the first murderer for this. How much more so then, we repent of you, will God only give us grace and forgiveness along the same way? And then, of course, ultimately, through death, who takes that justice, to your point, Morgan, the, that, that we deserve on our behalf, so that we can be truly forgiven and not simply experience grief. Yes, sir. So, but good questions. I, I mean, the two witness thing is important. And he may have thought that he'd be resurrected. Remember, this is the first death of Yeah. We, we don't know, have any idea because it's all first stuff. But because the Torah is key to this, since Messiah is the Torah, and it was prior to this, then those were alive. And there wasn't two witnesses, so the death penalty is off the table. I'm concerned. Your halakha and theology may differ, but. Um, I, I think a greater point today would be it sounds like viscerally we believe that Cain's sin was greater than Adam's and it wasn't. Hmm. We live today dealing with Adam's sin with Cain's. Good point. Whether Cain was let off the hook, you know, he got a reprieve, he's going, hey, got hoes here by Adam. <laughs> Don't even get the women started on Eve. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Just with the whole witnesses thing, though, I mean, clearly in the back end of this portion, we're starting to get to the point where it literally kills everyone except one family for its sin. If, so I, yeah. I don't know if I if, would say God needs two witnesses in order to exact capital punishment. Well, he doesn't, he no. doesn't no. need no. anything. He restrains himself by his own talk. And actually, right. if you see in, in Ezekiel, it says that he does not delight the death of the wicked. Right. This idea, in fact, Peter goes in the same direction, talking ironically enough, I think, about the flood. That, like, God delays hoping for repentance, right. hoping that there will be an giving them an opportunity to, to change. And I think if you look at Cain and his sin and, and his punishment, what's fascinating about it is there's this concept in, in, in Judaism, they actually pull in Deuteronomy, they talk about building a building a fence around your roof, and it's specifically on one fall. Which reads weird. It's not a human. It's a, they come to them as a person who falls. The person who falls doesn't fall. The reason they say they say there's a cool drash off of that. It says the person who falls is meant to fall. Well, why is he fall. meant to fall? Why is he meant to fall? Don't want to be your fault. Because he's he has done something worthy of it. So if you are a person who is um, not a good person, not keeping the Torah, God will actually use you to bring justice to somebody else. So it's like there's this the idea of karma is is not out of out of uh, it's not a it's not just a mythical concept in the sense it's a it's a response to the way that sometimes God chooses to act. God allows circumstances that seem 
uh, un to bring about justice. God chooses to do that. It's God doing it. It's not karma. I've only got one daughter. Do you remember what my dad used to say? Yeah. Chico, we oh, chose. So, yeah, yeah. Oh, yes. What was it? He chose, chose. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and he goes, back to bed, come back. Mm -hmm. Well, and the thing That's is. That's what Chinky chose always chose means? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the point being that, that karma is a, is a naked uh, uh, interpretation of, I think, of acts of God. Right. It's this idea that, that that bad things happen to bad people, ultimately, I think is true. So it's, in, in your point about Cain, Cain, according to Midrash, is killed by accident by another human being. So God exacts justice, but oddly enough, chooses to do it in a way that seems circumstantial. The flood kind of has the same feel to it, right? God could have had, God could have, you know, uh, you know, uh, sent divine bolts unto all these people, you know, told Noah, okay, Noah, I want you to go get a whole bunch of rocks, I'm going to freeze everyone in place, you go stone them all. Because, you know, capital punishment across the board. That's clever. Um, instead, uh, God chooses to natural acts, or so it would appear, even if it was unnatural, of a flood, wipe everything out, start over. God oftentimes does exacts justice in this way. And I think the reason is because, going back to talking about earlier, choice and the power of repentance. He wants the rest of humanity to look at that and say, wow, God cares about sin. I am going to choose to do it because I choose to recognize that God punish sin. Instead, What's the other? Some people are going to go, can you believe the whole one? Oh, you know what? A really big tower, so they can't get us next time. Or, 6,000, 5,000 years later, 4,000 years later, no, that didn't happen. Didn't happen at all. There are what? trees at the bottom of the ocean. It's not a flood. What flood? <laughs> you know, there's a there's a giant Grand Canyon and fish on top of mountains. Flood. What flood? The, Mars. Mars flooded. But the Earth didn't flood. There's actually no water on Mars, but that, that flooded. It flooded. <laughs> so, the point is... Let me tell you. So the point that I'm trying to get at is, I think that God does that very intentionally. So we might, in our this need for justice, may want to see God delivered in a way that we can recognize. But ultimately, God chooses to discuss that, kind of those hidden miracles, so to speak, hidden moments, because he wants that freedom that people will choose to recognize it. Choose eyes to see, let them see, right? Let them ears to hear, let them hear. In the long run, at the end of time, God will make it very clear. There will be no question about it that person did X, and their punishment is going to be equal to what they did. End of story. We will know, we will all know, that God is the one who delivered that. This year, I yeah. never noticed as we go through and we see how old people were when they first had these. Oh. <laughs> I've seen a great little art scroll, kids Russia, and they sent like a sample link. And it's very, very well illustrated. The whole thing's kind of filled with interesting traditions. And I had never about that until I read that in there, ironically enough, where it's like, Noah is like unbelievably old. He has his first kids, and it out the similarity to all of the other righteous people throughout the who all have kids late, because God desires the communion with them, and there's just this really special relationship that God has with them, and there's lots and lots of prayer that ends up ultimately in God granting answering their prayer. I had never I had never actually noticed that this year, just how different the years are. I mean, right. it's like more almost three times. Just the latest one before it. Right. What else is really remarkable? Overlay their timelines and see how many are still alive at the end. Yes, that's mm -hmm. right. And even afterwards, if you're looking at Seth, Ham, Japheth, and Noah, mm -hmm. and that Abraham would actually meet these mm -hmm. is fine by the way. Methuselah dies 
the day the flood starts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> death shall bring. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, it's kind of like there are people, be careful, kid. Uh, it's kind of like there are people talk, <laughs> talk about generation being generation Z. Like, let's not use the letter of the alphabet for a generation. That's just a bad idea. Um, the, uh, the, the, the point being, though, that um, with the flood, uh, or the, the, the ages of people, I thought it was fascinating this year. I didn't know today, just looking at it. Did Adam and Eve have Seth when Adam's 120? According to the Midrash tradition, Eve conceives and bears and Abel before the, even the fall happens. If that's true, for 120 years, there's no more people. I didn't never put myself in the shoes of Adam before as parents who have to be unbelievably grieved that one child has murdered the other one, now it's been sent off into exile, they're, and they're basically alone for 120 years. Like, and you can only imagine, um, like, now, get the, almost like the emotional poignancy comment, like, I have been appointed God. And when you read it as though it happened, like, nine months later, it almost sort of feels like, it almost, you kind of like, at Eve's going, thank goodness, second chance here. Instead, if you think about it 120 years later, I mean, can you imagine, like, the additional power in that? Like, Eve has to be on the verge right? I mean, that's just got to be, like, wow, I have been a, a replacement after all this time. Like, God heard me. Like, and thinking about, to your point, uh, about God desiring the prayers of the righteous, imagine that if there was any um, uh, any need to repent or to reestablish with God, that 120 are probably pretty fruitful um, for Adam and Eve. So I just thought that was a really powerful, um, uh, factual point that I just did I never thought of that. I guess when we read all the list of Cain, we don't think about them being separated. Yeah, they may not have been. I don't know. Have this. We don't have the whole account, but it's entirely plausible that they're left somewhere else, and Adam and Eve are are left alone. That's what the Gutnik says. You know, he went off to the land of Nod, where you know, where, you know. nodding off. Um, well, went wandering. wandering. So right. Basically, went to wander. Went to go wandering. The um the the end of this week's parsha, of course, is the um the ultimate in, in tragedy, really, because of course. The God actually regretting creation. The story beginning with the creation story and God's it was good. And in the end of this parasha, God recognized it has actually become so corrupt it is no longer good. Um, and and it, I think that just, again, it highlights you talked about at the beginning. God's love with his creation. You know, it's not just a creator who makes something because he needs to create. And, you know, the old water uh, deist approach that makes the universe and then you know, sets it in motion and steps away. You know, I got other things. To do. Um, but obviously, God's intimacy creation is is profound. I mean, you you see this. There's there's an emotional poignancy of of the uh, part of the of the parsha with God feeling this remorse. This it says it saddened him. It's a, I think it's a really amazing thought. God that created everything is sad because of the sins of humanity. Um. <laughs> and, uh, and then, of course, Noah ultimately being the um, uh, <coughs> the remnant, the teeny tiny little remnant <coughs> that's going to um, that's going to reestablish connection between God and creation. And it's how God always like one guy, you know. I read, heard a really interesting teaching in. Um, yeah, I heard a really interesting teaching in um, in, uh, uh, in a in a conservative shul actually in Jerusalem. Um, the night of Shavuot, and they said that Abraham saved monotheism. Like, 
Abraham, basically everyone was worshiping idols. The only one who stops and goes, come on. Everybody else, literally the entire rest of the planet has basically given in. Of course, we assume that Seth was out there somewhere doing what was right. Yeah, the shul. Yeah, the Academy of Seth. Or not Seth, I'm sorry, um, Shem. Shem. So basically, this, but essentially, Abraham's the only guy. And in this story, Noah is literally like the only guy. Like there's a couple of people in Methuselah, I would assume some connection because he actually met Adam, if you look at the overlap. But the point being that there's like, Noah's the only guy that uh, is worthy of being saved. And, um, and I think that just kind of goes back to my earlier. You have a choice. You know, your, and your power of choice is profound. You can choose to be that God saves the universe through, or you can choose to be like everybody else. Noah chose differently. And I think the contrast, I think one thing that stood up to me this year, yeah, the number of people, because Noah, his, son, his sons, his daughters-in-law, his wife, that sounds and direction of I've been here. You know, that sounds vaguely familiar to Lot. Lot. What? Noah and his, family, his entire family are saved. Didn't work so well for Lot. I think that that tells you that even as a righteous person, if you fail to lead your family, to teach your family, to demonstrate righteousness in a way that's approachable and understandable um, and consistent, then you may save yourself, and you may save physically some of the people around you. We see from his daughters, obviously quite by the experience of them. <coughs> Noah, now granted, one of Noah's grandsons had some of his own issues, but the point is that Noah, at least, or his son, um, Noah does save all of his family, and most of his family up being worthy to recreate the world. Um, a couple of things. First, I, I would... Noah's against the fact that Noah's righteousness is what saved him. It's God's grace that saved him. Yes, I'm sorry. If you're of the apostolic position that the God of the New Testament is full of grace, the God of the Old wipes people out with water and fun and you know, stuff, then you've, you've missed the grace that's poured out constantly. constantly. Um, that the whole the whole story suggests that God, said earlier, God was saddened if us, he would have been disappointed in his own creation. Sad. Because he, given us, he has given us free choice. And his creation, in the beginning, chose to disobey. They chose poorly. They chose poorly, yeah. I have a fairly long two or three line email back and forth for three, four days uh, with another IT guy in another company that, you know, he professed to have faith, and I said, uh, so do you think God cares with what we eat? And would your answer differ from Adam's? He went through a long disposition about whether or not, you know, they were vegetarians and blah, and this and that, and it depends on how you read the apostles. And I'm sorry, after all that, I didn't get the answer to the question. I don't care what we eat. And would your answer differ from that? And he goes, I don't think God cares what we I don't get it. What are you asking about Adam? It's back to what Rick was saying. It's, they just ignore it. It's it never happened. It just it's not there. It's not something that we need to refer to. Important. It's fundamental. It's foundational to our faith. If you throw out or if you don't take a 
a fairly literal view of Genesis than throwing out the function of the thing. Uh, yeah, and I think that also the point that actions matter. It's sort of interesting that the uh, you mentioned the grace of God. Obviously, yes, the grace of God is what saves it. I think it's interesting. It begins with grace in the eyes of God, and then I think it's the next verse or verse after that says Noah was just righteous man in his generations. And you think about Moses. Moses says, "I found grace in your sight." Then, basically, teach me so that I can obey, so that I can find grace in your sight. Right. It's like we we receive from God. Grace is never given without an intended reaction. And reaction is not um, to acknowledge that grace and to and to respond in obedience, then that may be, the grace may be more of a reprieve mm. than a forgiveness. So I think that that, um, yes, we are all of the grace of God as a starting point, and we can't do it on our own. Our actions do matter. Mm-hmm. And the things that we do, especially from our perspective, being not divine and able to see how all the intricacies of the universe fit together, um, we ultimately are responsible for our own actions. And I think going back to what we were talking about at the beginning, like, your choice. You can choose. You can choose to do right wrong. But deal to Eve like she had a choice, maybe, because it's like all, everything is in the wrong direction. You know, she's, uh, she's got someone who seems pretty smart in what to do. She's got uh, opportunity. She, everything about what she's been told not to do looks right. Um, in fact, it even looks like maybe the person told her not to may have nefarious motives behind not to. Um, there's plenty of opportunity for doubt, but she still had a choice. And she chose in, somewhat in enough to trust her own inclinations and uh, a snake that could talk, to trust the God who created her. Just real quick, I, I, I was really struck, again, to your point before, where it's like, you kind of read through thing, and you're like, wow, that, that's really, like it starts with all these in creation and everything, but then it's like, death in the world, <laughs> And it's just one thing after another, all the way to the end here, with, you know, literally, okay, now, now the flood is going to be mandated here. Um, and just remembering Corinthians 15, that relates both Adams, you know, where it's the idea of, like, death came into the world from the first Adam, death came into the world from the second. And really, like, this, that, Paul's teaching on that is what gives us hope after reading this. If this was all we had, it would seem sad <laughs> that like this Pretty is dark. the end of the story, right? Like everybody just ends up dying. All their life expectancies just keeps going down. You know, and but he is our hope. And he, and there is there is after this. There the a, a component to our faith because to to my father this is the foundation of our here where the, an acceptance that God is here. But knowing that we see the end of creation seems like it's just death and dust. Now there's that that of Yeshua who adds to that and says, no, no, that's not the end of creation, because he's he is the uh, he's the one that brings life and the the resurrection. Right, and the reader. And I think that was we got to uh, Revelation. We skipped ahead a little bit because there's only so much time to read, and it's kind of really cool to read the last chapter of the book after the first chapter of the book. But a little bit earlier, to what we read today, the uh, Revelation passage, um, it talks about the new creation, new heaven and new earth, God starting fresh. But this time, it's the difference is first account, God creates the universe, God puts, you know, innocent man in that in that position and gives him a choice to see, not he'll do, he knows what he'll do, gives him an opportunity to act correct in a perfect universe. This time around, God chooses to take a man who's been given choice, who's made choices, and put that man back into the universe, having made the right choice. And the experience and the relationship between God and creation will be now from what it was originally. It will not be working with the creator has never done anything before that will be what God is. It will be the opposite, in fact. 
a man, a creator, has come to know who God's experienced through, especially if you think about it in terms of humanity as, a, as an entire entity, um, a collective knowledge, has experienced God that will then bring that experience into a perfect world where there will be no more death and there will be no more, there will be no more sorrow and all those different types of things. All of the things that, to your point, Gregory, looking like they're going in a direction in Genesis, um, starts all over again. So if you think about, like I said, the power of repentance, that man's sin creates all of this death and sadness, and yet, through the, through the death and resurrection of Yeshua, and then by our choice repentance in response to that sacrifice, we have the ability through God to reset everything, to be placed back in the garden, an even better version, um, as though all our sins um, had never happened. That's... And that's not even mentioning the above until that Right, yeah, benefits up until that point. But at the end, to be able to go back to the to back to the place of innocence with the awareness and with the, 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 the failures and the repentance along the way, um, I think to me that is that is remarkable. As the sages say, great. It's, final comments. Make sure to get one there. Excellent. Uh, this was really good. Um, Mr. Martin, would you leave there? Sure. Other that um, you had already arranged a plan for our redemption even before we needed it. We're thankful for what you accomplished for us. We pray, Father, that we would live in our lives in gratitude and that our lives uh, around others would take that. Thank you, Father, for our time together looking at your work. We're going to rest in our Shabbat. We pray in the name of Yeshua, our risen Savior. Amen. Amen.